Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Doug Battle. And today we are going to start. Well, you know, Doug, I, I tend to think. The NFL is the thing that kind of saves American sports at this point. You know, it's like ESPN's ratings are sort of relatively low throughout the entire year. NFL season kicks off. ESPN's average revenues go up. Um, People get re-energized. It is the the foundation of American sports at this time with your favorite college, college football is maybe the the, the close little brother. Well, I agree about that in a sense. College football is the little brother in most regions. It's completely regional. And the region in which I am from, college football is, in fact, the big brother. Very, very true. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, NFL is coming back around. We had the Hall of Fame game this weekend. Peyton Manning inducted was the big story. But pro football's back, at least in the preseason um, form, and and football fans are excited. I'm excited. I think that the NFL absolutely needs this. I think ESPN needs a regular, regular season, and um, honestly, I think the country needs this. I think professional football being back will be something that can bring us all together and give us something to look forward to every week. I think that's interesting what you said because I I don't know what we're going to have, right? I mean this this these are these are incredibly strange times. It's like you watch the news and it's the news coverage is like 50% covid. So <laughs> sports coverage I, I, is 50% covid. Yeah, and so I mean th- this is still I assume it's going to be well, you know what? I'm not going to assume anything. Now, by way of context though, the NFL uh, you know, sports has been down since covid. The NFL um, regular season viewing was, uh, I pulled a couple of numbers, 15.4 million viewers um, a game last year, which was a 7% decline from the previous regular season. This was the lowest average audience since 2017. Mm -hmm. So the NFL even was a little bit of weakness last year. Um, Now, of course, compared to everything else with losses of viewership of 30% or 40%. It was pretty solid, but still, you know, it was probably really a shakeup, kind of a, a a moment in the NFL offices of maybe we are not, maybe we're not the Teflon sport. But that being said, you know, I, I do think this is this is the American sports season about to to get underway. Um, the other thing, when we talk about the the upcoming season, it's like there, there's a lot of stuff going on. But as you said, COVID is relevant in in sports, and I've seen recent you know recent data that suggests maybe eighty five percent of the players are vaccinated. But there seems to be a very vocal fifteen percent that is a holdout, with maybe the yep. the most notable NFL player who is passing so far on the vaccination, or at least passing on revealing his vaccination status to the NFL is Kirk Cousins. And it was in the news that they had one of their main, one of their sponsors actually, I guess, ended the relationship with the Vikings over Kirk Cousins 
refusal to be vaccinated or to announce his vaccination status. Well, I got to say, that one doesn't surprise me at all, given that this sponsor is a hospital. Um, I don't know that hospitals right now would be popular for them to associate with individuals who are anti-vaxxers amidst the global pandemic. The player to me that's stuck out as the big story is Lamar Jackson. This is a a guy that was MVP two years ago, and he apparently has yet to be vaccinated. Well, well, He's Doug, had COVID I, twice. Let me let me let me interject something there because, and, and I'll say this is a little bit of weirdness that we we're talking about today. Emory University, where we work, um, has mandated the vaccine for faculty, staff, and students, but apparently not for healthcare employees. <laughs> and I think it's okay to not have an answer, not have a response to that because it's. Well, strange. Yeah, I don't know what Emory University or Emory Medical Systems is doing. I would imagine that the healthcare workers probably have a higher rate of vaccination in either way um, over faculty, staff, and students. But in the NFL, uh, we've seen coaches uh, be released of, of their duties because of this. And on the flip side, we've seen a coach like Ron Rivera, who's immunocompromised, fighting for his players to, or I guess, promoting vaccination among his players, having a large proportion of players not vaccinated and, and putting kind of the coach at odds with the players. What a story that is. And so as much as we want the NFL season to be a normal year, a back to normal football is back, no more weirdness, no more fanless stadiums or half capacity stadiums with people with masks on and, and all this. Looking at the numbers with COVID and looking at the storylines this offseason, it's hard to imagine it not being another asterisk year in some form or fashion for both pro football and college football, as much as it pains me to say that. Yes, it's and, you know, you may well be right based on some of the, the data from Europe that suggests the Delta strain burns itself out relatively quickly. But it's it, you know, it's a fascinating story watching all of this come down. And it does feel like that things are kind of coming to a head, even a society-wise, I think, with you know, with vaccination mandates, et cetera. And the NFL just happens to be, you know, as our premier sports league, it's probably where the spotlight is going to shine brightest uh, in terms of this COVID issue over the next, the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Okay, Doug, so all that being said... Uh, as we go into this NFL season, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal sort of something that's biasing me at the moment. Okay. So, I've got a research project underway with uh, one of my PhD students, and it's something I've mentioned in in passing uh, over the last year because it takes a long time to to do this kind of these kind of studies. But one of the elements of the study was looking at. NFL quarterback performance statistics. So things like QBR or the NFL passer rating. And then trying to adjust for the level of talent surrounding that quarterback, right? Yeah, yeah. The results thus far have been fairly surprising to me. But I'm starting to talk myself into believing the results. Okay, like there's no reason for me to not believe the results. In some ways, the data is the data. But what if I would tell you that as far as I can tell from looking at the the data over the last 20 years, the amount of wide receiver and running back talent and even offensive line talent on an offensive unit does not have that much of an effect on quarterback performance. Would that shock you? Yes, absolutely. Um, particularly the offensive line. I mean, you just look at Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, I mean... And it's definitely shocked me as well. And so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I can tell you at this point, looking at the data, you know, because so sometimes, you know, like uh, Josh Allen just signed, a, came out, came out with a deal. I, it was like six years for $258 million, more than $100 million plus guaranteed. Right. <laughs> so six years, $258 mil, million, that's, that's what, $42, $43 million a year. The... 2021 salary cap is 182.5 million. So let's just let me do. A, I'm not going to do the math in my head, but so let's say 40 million for a premier quarterback divided by 182 million. That's 22 percent of a salary cap. And and I think you know it. it of late, I've kind of got. 
almost given myself pause thinking 22% of a salary cap on a, what's a 50 man roster seems excessive, but looking at the data, I'm starting to think maybe it's almost not quite enough that the quarterback position is so dominant in terms of what makes for franchise success that these guys, in fact, you know, may be relatively underpaid. And if you don't have a response to that, I'll, I'll fully understand since you haven't been living in the data. But I'm kind of surprised by what's coming out of my mouth this morning. You know, going into last season, I think I said on the podcast, probably the same podcast a year ago, I didn't think Tom Brady was going to change the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I didn't think it was like the NBA where one player makes that big of a difference. Football's such a team sport. You've got 22 starters. Uh, how can one player be the difference in a Super Bowl and not even making the playoffs? And yet we see Tom Brady go in and prove me wrong. You know, the, all of a sudden the Bucs are Super Bowl champs. And yeah, you can point to their defense being elite and their offensive line being fantastic in the playoffs and their wide receiving core being arguably the best in the NFL. But the the biggest difference from one season to the next was Tom Brady. And so I think if anything evidences the data that you're talking about, it's that story right there that one quarterback can take a middle of the road team and make them into champions. And so, uh, you know, as much as I'm, I've kind of been against that line of thought over the years, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded and allow, you know, the, the evidence to change my mind in this. And, and Tom Brady certainly helped in doing that last season. I think on the flip side, you could look at Mahomes and, the offensive line situation. But they still made it to the Super Bowl. They did still make it to the Super Bowl, and I'm sure they're still expected yeah. to make it to the Super Bowl as long as they have Patrick Mahomes uh, under center. And so, I mean, you you look at Mahomes and Brady, that's two of the top guys in the league, and those are the, well, the two Super Bowl contenders, um, the two that, that made it this last season, the two that are expected to make it this season, I'm sure. Well, and, and look, I don't want to... I don't want to sort of make an anecdote. I don't, I don't want to support the conclusions from the broader data set with anecdotal examples. But the one I found myself thinking about as we were looking at the, the results was uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben. And thinking about a couple of years ago where he had Levy and Bell, arguably a top two or three running back in the league, and Antonio Brown, arguably a top two or three wide receiver in the league. Those guys left. And it didn't seem to matter much. Both of those guys kind of dropped off in terms of performance for different reasons. And the Steelers kept going along at sort of the Big Ben kind of pace of 10 and 6, right? Big Ben is a 10 and 6 kind of guy at this point. And as long as you're replacing a top wide receiver with a Juju Smith, right? Schuster Smith. So maybe the story is as long as you're. Coming up with decent talent, the quarterback means everything. Yeah, on the one hand, the Pittsburgh Steelers certainly did a good job replacing elite talent with, at at the very least, excellent talent. Uh, Juju Smith, I know James Conner was filling in at running back for a bit. They, they've done a great job drafting over the years and bringing in some, some great talent at those positions, receiver and, and running back. But that said... I think the marginal difference between one running back and the next in the NFL is not that much. I think the same can be said a receiver. I mean, you could go from having Odell Beckham to uh, the second-round pick receiver for this year's draft class, and your team would probably win just as many games. I think you could do that with running backs, with most running backs in the league. I know a lot of teams have a running back by committee kind of system because of that. Um, quarterback, that's just simply not the case. Be outside of the top 10 guys in the league, you're not going to win a Super Bowl, period. And outside of that 15, you might not have a, a winning season. I mean, there, there's a shortage of elite quarterbacks, of quarterbacks that can get the job done at that level. And I, I think that's why, uh, you know, the evidence is showing that the quarterback is the position where you can, who you surround them with, um, isn't as important as who you have under center. And I think that's that's a good way to to think about it. That the fact is that often the guy that's taken the third round, let's say the third round of the NFL draft, well guess what? He is a world class athlete. Yep. 
He's been the best athlete of every place he's ever played unless he went to college at Alabama or Clemson, right? So going from that ultra-elite talent to just the elite talent maybe mostly matters at the quarterback position. So if we're buying my – and look, conclusions are never – you know, I'm not going to make any conclusions until we finally get through the research project. So I'll just, I'm putting this out there as sort of conjecture at this point. So with that in mind, as we go into this NFL season, at least, you know, for me, and we can, we can talk about these guys in different orders if you want. I, I started to make a list of kind of the quarterback stories, and I started with the category of the old, Brady Rogers and Roethlisberger, the coming of age, the 2018 class. And I chose the 2018 class simply because Josh Allen just got paid. So these guys are at a point where contract renegotiations are happening. And, you know, then I also have a category called the new, but we, we can also expend, extend this to any other interesting quarterback stories that you got. Yeah. I think the big story this off season, we've talked about this plenty on the podcast is Aaron Rodgers, And I have no reason to believe that this season is not going to be a continuation of that story. I feel like that is the main storyline in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers' last dance. It's like we're watching the documentary in real time. We've seen the conflict within the organization. We've seen a, a disgruntled Aaron Rodgers uh, publicly express his frustrations with the ownership and with management in that franchise. And I think we're going to see an MVP caliber quarterback make one last run at a championship for a fan base that he loves and for a franchise well, that he's at odds with. And he's kind of almost the perfect storm for a player almost performing in his own last dance documentary, right? Because he's an incredibly smart and articulate guy to the point where, you know, they're considering him as a host of jeopardy, right? So he is, he, he's probably the kind of it's sort of a nightmare some scenario in terms of he might have just a, a blast filming like a personal movie th- this season. If he's, if he's approaching it as this is the end of my time in Green Bay. And look, going back to this earlier argument about the sort of the value of quarterbacks, maybe Aaron Rodgers is a, you know, he's a 12, he's somewhere between an 11, 14 win quarterback, regardless of what's around him, right? So as long as there isn't a total breakdown, as long as he's playing at his previous level, they're going to have a playoff run. There's going to be the spotlight on him. And it's going to be interesting to watch. So I, I think you're kind of right that he is. He's like to me, he's probably the top story going into this league, just because there's been so much buildup for the last what six, seven months. Absolutely. And then outside of Aaron Rodgers, of course, the two names that we've already mentioned multiple times on the show are Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Can Tom Brady? I would assume he would be the first quarterback to repeat with multiple teams, but can Tom Brady do the unthinkable? and repeat at this age, it seems plausible given how dominant the Buccaneers were late in the season last year. On the flip side, can Patrick Mahomes overcome uh, the obstacle of having a weak offensive line, or, or has Kansas City ap- approached the offensive line differently and, and acquired the type of players to enable Patrick Mahomes to have success? Because looking back a couple years ago when, when Pat won his first Super Bowl, it felt like this guy's going to win the next 10 now all of a sudden he's eating up well the majority of the salary cap and you start to wonder do they have enough around him as far as his protection cuz he's a pretty hefty investment to protect for Kansas City I just City. pulled up the betting odds for the Super Bowl and the the do you, do you know what they are at this point at least in terms of a ranking can you predict um, I'm going to say Who's, Bucks Well so the Chiefs are the favorite huh um Tom Brady Buccaneers second there Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen, number three. Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers, number four. Baltimore Ravens with uh, Lamar Jackson, number five. A lot of uh, these are these are quarterback stories, right? Um, Those are all guys on the top ten on this fantasy list I'm looking at right now. Uh, top ten performers last year, and that's what I'm getting at. Is that if you don't have a top ten quarterback, I don't really see you competing for a Super Bowl in this day and age. And like I said before, if you don't have a top fifteen quarterback, it's pretty hard to have a winning record at all. And so, I think that's why that position is so valued. And like you said, 
perhaps undervalued. I think that's a hot take given how much these guys are paid, but I see where you're coming from, Mike. Um, it's all about the quarterback position in today's NFL. Of course, you've got to protect them. I think we'll see that um, with Trevor Lawrence. We saw it last year with Joe Burrow. When a player of that caliber is not surrounded with at least adequate talent, things can get pretty bad, no matter how talented they are. Okay, well, so in terms of some of those, uh, <clears throat> some of those odds, Patrick Mahomes, I don't think there's any really doubt. I mean, I think he's largely viewed as the talent mm-hmm. outside of the old the old gunslingers at this point. Right. Um, this 2018 class is interesting, right? Because in terms of that top five or six teams I read off, uh, Josh Allen just got paid a lot. Um, <laughs> he uh, he was not the first pick in that draft, of course, right? I I think we could say that. Well, I don't know. The 2018 draft class was interesting, right? Because there were a lot of quarterbacks. Was that uh, a, was, was that Trubisky's year? Uh, I don't think so. It was Baker Mayfield at one. That's right. That's right. Sam Darnold at like three. Yep. Then probably Allen, Josh Rosen, and then um, Josh Lamar Rosen. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, so I think five in the first round, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Uh, but so out of those, Josh Allen getting the big payday. I think Lamar Jackson is going to get a big payday. Absolutely. Is that I mean, safe to say. Absolutely. I mean, that's a former MVP of the league. Okay, so then the question becomes to me, what kind of money does Baker Mayfield get? A lot. <laughs> does he get the but is he going to get the 40 million plus contract or is he somehow going to be slotted in at a 30 million dollar rate or are we in a are we in a market where if your quarterback seems to have the potential to be an elite and a Super Bowl winning guy that they all get paid the same? Yeah, I think we're in a market where if you are or if you seem capable of becoming that NFL champion quarterback. And I think Baker Mayfield, I think Browns fans probably think he's capable of that. I think the Browns front office probably still feels that way. And I think it's going to earn him that payment. Cause like what we've been talking about, I mean, if you don't have a top 15 guy, you probably don't have a winning team. The Browns have had the most successful era in a long time under Baker Mayfield, um, regardless of maybe not winning a Super Bowl. This is a team that's that's finally has a quarterback that can win them a lot of football games. Okay. I mean, if you had a choice, Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield, is that even close in your mind? No. Uh, Josh Allen all Josh day. Allen. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also interesting looking at that, and I don't know what Sam Darnold's money is going to look like. I suspect he ends up being slotted at a lower rate, maybe something in the $20, 25000000 million, maybe $30 million range. I don't know where this market's going. Mm-hmm. The other one I, I saw, the other name from that list which is interesting to me as an analytics guy, is Josh Rosen. Hmm. Do you realize that he's already been on four teams? In what, <laughs> three years? Um, pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. At this point, I don't know what his value is. I guess the thinking is he could be a career backup if you're acquiring him at this point. I don't know if anyone sees him as their starting so quarterback. How, how do, how do te- you know, as fans, you know, we see, we see the college games. Right. NFL executives obviously have a lot more information than we do because they get to they get to meet the individual, right? They get much better physical performance data than we see relative to um, you know relative to what's produced at the the combine. How do people miss that badly, right? How does someone you know? Because if you're, I, I think Rosen went something like tenth. So how do they get that talent so wrong? That within two, basically two years, this guy's been written off, right? That it's just, it doesn't work. He doesn't translate. Yeah, I think in the NFL and the NBA, I think most professional sports leagues draft on potential. And I think Josh Allen's a kid that he's got the frame. He's got the arm. Uh, he, he showed glimpses of greatness in college. And there was no reason to think he, with the right coaching and the right development, he couldn't become that guy so he was drafted on potential now or i think you go wrong at the quarterback position is drafting purely on physical con- potential or not taking into account the player's mental abilities and their their mental not just their drive and work ethic but how quickly they make decisions i think that's what separates quarterbacks in the nfl pretty much any quarterback in the nfl has a big arm has a great frame um has the athleticism to perform the duties physically but it's 
making those decisions. I think that's what separated players like Josh Allen from Sam Darnold, for example, another guy who had a fantastic pro day, fantastic pro day, maybe the best one I've ever seen on television. And yet I was always concerned about him because of the plays I saw him make in college where he made bad decisions and, and interceptions that were made. I think um, some players develop a lot in that area. I think Josh Allen has. I think Josh Rosen is the same exact player he was. I don't think he's moved to maybe what they thought his ceiling was. And at this point, he just is what he is. See, the, the, that's an interesting way to look at it. And so maybe they can assess the physical talent as the mental side of the game. But when we start getting into the mental side of the game, that kind of scares me a little bit more, right? I mean, so the, you know, he started out with the the Cardinals and then moved to the, was it the Dolphins was his second stop? I believe so. I believe so. That, you know, you got to wonder how much of kind of that development on the mental side is based on the environment that someone finds themselves in, right? Because you, you just think if, if there's full confidence in a player in one environment versus if there's an incredible amount of stress, right, or if there's dysfunction in the organization that, you know, we, I, I don't think we're going to be able to not talk about Ted Lasso, given that we're both watching the series. And as a small spoiler alert, you know, the, the subject of the yips came up. And so it. it can you get into something like where there's maybe a minor case of the the yips that just blows up a career that blows up a top 10 pick in terms of physical talent, but then there's nothing you can do about it. It's not, is it reclaimable? Is there some level of, you know, is there some place where you could rebuild him to potentially get that physical ability to, to shine on the field? I, I don't know the answer to the question. Yeah, and I think the Dolphins had to feel that way. I think they had to feel like they probably evaluated him going to the draft. They probably felt like this guy is probably going to be a franchise quarterback. They saw him struggle um, for Arizona where he was drafted, and they felt like, you know what? Arizona doesn't have the right support for him. They don't have the right coaching staff. They're also in a position to take another quarterback, and of course they're going to do that. We see a bargain here. We see a franchise quarterback that's being essentially given away for a second-round pick. We're willing to take the risk and to get him with a sports psychologist and get him with our quarterback coaches yeah. and get him with our offensive coordinator and develop him into that player. Now, we see what's, what's happened since then, and obviously risk probably did not pay off uh, for Arizona, and that's where I'm getting at now. I don't, I don't see anyone acquiring Josh Rosen thinking – this is our franchise quarterback. Now, of course, years back, yeah. like Aaron Rodgers, he was waiting behind Brett Favre at this age. And so maybe Josh Rosen is just one of those guys that takes time to get developed, or maybe that's what teams are thinking when they acquire him. And, and you know what? This is probably sort of kind of I'm projecting one of the things that I've always thought about. It's like this. Uh, there's so many misses in terms of the drafting of these guys. That has always left me fascinated with, you know, why are the mistakes made? You know, what information are they not given sufficient weight to? Or what blind spots are causing them to make the mistakes? You know, Mitch Trubisky would be another example of this to me. That, and is there no way to sort of, you know, fix these guys? Now, you know, it's probably not particularly interesting to anyone as we belabor on the point about <laughs> saving Josh Rosen. But it's but like I said, as an analytics guy, it's always interesting to me, not only sort of the projecting the, you know, why did Tom Brady last around seven versus the other guys that get picked in the top ten and just do nothing. Yeah, it feels like we see that every year. Um quarterbacks I think often are overvalued in the draft as far as there's teams that see a need and they draft on need over overall talent and they'll take a player that might be the 700th best player in the draft but if they're the seventh best quarterback they could still go in the first round or the second round um as far as fixing these guys i don't know i mean as a giants fan i remember when it was eli manning i remember at this point in his career when he was at josh rosen's age the franchise was still investing in him they still had faith in him i did not i thought he was done I think nowadays we've seen some of these young quarterbacks going back to Russell Wilson have success very young. And the thinking is if a guy isn't starting as a rookie or if he's not a star, 
by his third season, he's just not a franchise quarterback. That wasn't always the case. That wasn't always how they did things. That's what I was getting at with Aaron Rodgers earlier. Guys used to sit, even as recent as Patrick Mahomes, who sat as a rookie and then you know takes the world by storm when he finally gets a shot. The team felt like they got to develop him. Um, I think going back to David Carr, there was thinking that if you throw a young, talented quarterback to the Wolves too early, it can mess the mess up their mental game. It can give them the yips, if you will. And um, and so with Josh Rosen, I'm like, maybe there's teams that feel like he needs the time. He's one of those guys that has the same ceiling as some of these guys that are stars in their third year, but he's not going to be a starting caliber quarterback for a couple of years. Or maybe he's just, you know, he is what he is. All I'm saying is that evaluation of quarterback has changed over the years where a player like Josh Rosen still might be considered a franchise quarterback for the team that drafted him had it been 20 years ago, maybe even 10 or 15 years ago. It's definitely what the conventional wisdom was, right? That you would let the you would let the rookie quarterback watch for a year and then integrate him into the offense. I think the the salary cap changes some of that right this idea of we're investing the salary cap and free agency i think change it a little bit right where you feel like you got to get your money out and you don't want to you don't want to lose your time with this cost control quarterback okay all that being said doug so we've got a you know going from 2018 to 2021 we've got a we've got a big class of quarterbacks coming in first round guys what do you think is going to be interesting? And look, we, we've talked about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields a lot. Uh, Trevor Lawrence will get the ball. I think Justin Fields will probably end up the starter for the Chicago Bears. Oh, he absolutely will. Um, uh, yeah. First off, my prediction for this class in their first season, I think Justin Fields has the most success of the quarterbacks in this first season. I believe, again, I said this on draft night or or the episode prior to the draft, but oftentimes the quarterback that has that top three potential that falls a little bit later tends to have some success in their rookie year because they're surrounded by more talent. They're in a better situation. I think Trevor Lawrence is the most talented quarterback in this class. Also, I haven't watched the Jaguars much, but looking at their record and knowing that they're the Jaguars, I'd imagine he's thrown into a very tough situation. Um, I know in high school, there were concerns about his, not his accuracy, but his, he's a gunslinger, you know, so he'll, he'll throw some interceptions under pressure. We saw that some at Clemson, Justin Fields was a little bit more careful with the football. Yeah. I'm a little bit torn by that response because I love the passion of the fans. I love the fact that you're all in and the fact that he played one year at Georgia is enough for you to bond with the guy for life. I, I love that. But I'm also, you know. But it's also this thing of the the biases we have of like if I was a general manager in the in the in the NFL, I would probably have to pick a fighting Illini at least once every draft. You know, it might be the sixth or the seventh round. But you know that 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 kind of fandom starts to influence your 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 analysis of the talent. Now, of course, that's a little unfair because Fields is clearly a you know whether or not it works out works out for him on the field. He's clearly a transcendent talent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, any of these other things get you interested? Zach Wilson for the New York Jets. Mac Jones. I, I think Mac Jones has got to be a fascinating story up there in New England against competing against Cam Newton. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Getting back to Fields real quick. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm biased to him. I, I mean, I I did attend a practice and watched him just tear it up and, and said to myself, this guy's going to be MVP of the NFL one day, no doubt. But I don't think I'm biased to him sentimentally. I think Georgia fans actually really dislike him and, and take pleasure in seeing him fail. I wouldn't say I'm one of those fans, but I'm also not like all warm and fuzzy about Justin Fields. I just truly think he's going to be successful. Getting to Mac Jones... Um, that's a guy that had a lot of Tom Brady comparisons coming into the draft. I remember people were projecting to the Patriots solely because of that. And it, it feels like fate. It happened. He's competing against an Auburn quarterback and, and Cam Newton. So we got a little rivalry going on at the quarterback position. And he's a guy that seems to be the prototype for what New England likes in a quarterback. Mac Jones is a guy that started one year of college. Um, 
not quite the sample size, particularly given his supporting cast, not quite the oh. sample size that Trevor Lawrence gave us. Three years with Clemson, national championship oh. as a freshman, won just about every game of his college career. Uh, Mac Jones, to me, is is f- for as much as people oh. act like he's a sure thing for the Patriots, I think he's a boomer bust player. I really do. Well, well, Doug, let me ask you a question because you followed it so closely. How many games did Trevor Lawrence lose in high school? Um, zero. <laughs> okay, so may, very, very few. Right. Very few in college. Yeah. So I, I, he, he will be an interesting story just to watch and see how he responds to diversity. Uh, sorry, adversity. Or diversity. <laughs> Clemson's not a very diverse place. <laughs> see how he uh, responds to adversity because – you know, he may. It's entirely conceivable that if you go back to Trevor Lawrence's entire football career, he may have lost fewer than five games, right? Yeah. So suddenly he might lose his first five games in Jacksonville. Yeah, he'll lose more than he's lost his whole career. Whole different, whole different world. Whole different world. He's going to lose more games than he's lost his entire career. I would venture to bet going back to at least middle yeah. school. Okay. Well, I got to think he dominated in Pee Wee too, right? You know, um, you're right. You're right. He's, this will be the yeah. most games he's lost his entire life. Yeah. Oh, okay, so the rookie quarterbacks are interesting because there's nothing to really project from. I mean, you have the college games, but like with Josh Rosen, sometimes college doesn't translate to the pros. And projection is important for something in the world of sports that many people love, including yourself. I have very little interest in, but fantasy football. So, Doug, I know you like to talk about fantasy football. So, where's your what? First off, what's the name of your fantasy football team? My fantasy football team is the Washington Social Justice Warriors. I think when the Washington football team was rebranding last year, <laughs> one of the suggested names was the Washington Warriors. There was already a logo. There was also a lot of social justice movement going on in sports at the time. So I thought it would be clever to say the Washington in parentheses social justice and Warriors. Um, sweet logo, though. I kind of wish part of me, as much as I love the Washington football team, I kind of think the Washington Warriors would be a, a pretty awesome football name for a team. I know you probably don't like that as much, Mike. Okay, okay, okay. What was the name of your previous team then? I want to hear some of these Star Wars themed names. Yeah, I, I'm kind of infamous for my Star Wars um, fantasy teams over the years. I think I was the Washington Wookiees, like Chewbacca, <laughs> okay. um, as the mascot. So why do you why do you have your why does your team name start with Washington? Well, I think that year okay. I, I just wanted okay. to be the Wookiees, and Washington was the easy one. But I think last year is because Washington was rebranding, and I think like half of our league had. Their team be Washington as as different like joke team names that they could have rebranded to, um, so that's why. But I think over the years, I you know I think my favorite one was Golden Tate was my wide receiver one year that was really having a great year, and I named my team the Golden Tate Warriors instead of the Golden State Warriors. So I was proud of that one. Uh, I like the puns that come with fantasy football. Okay, well, and, and look, I'll as you go back and down memory lane here, fantasy football is probably one of the things that has elevated the NFL above some of the other sports leagues, right? Because there's a built-in now community structure where everyone everyone who's involved in a fantasy league has the incentive to to follow things. They are more involved. It's more interactive. It's somehow that has worked out something that has worked out beautifully for the NFL. I, I will tell you this and then I'll let you sort of go down whatever path you want to in terms of fantasy sports. I think it's interesting, and again, this is where the analytics, and again, I hate using the word interesting. It's such an academic word. But the analytics person in me, you know, loves the idea of projecting talent from year to year. And I suspect that for a hardcore sports fan, this is something that's interesting to you because everyone has access to all these projections, and you're trying to figure out where the projections are going to be off. So where the where the analyst at ESPN or whoever's doing them makes has some blind spots and makes some mistakes like i now part of the challenge for me as i was looking at some of those fantasy sites this morning is they don't seem to ever tell you how they are doing the projections which makes it more complicated to me in terms of trying to figure out where they may be making an error like i i don't know how they project 
what Trevor Lawrence is going to do uh, versus Justin Fields or Trey Lance beyond sort of saying, hey, well, Trey Lance may not get the ball or Trevor Lawrence is going to be on a potentially sort of a bad team, but we'll have the ball in his hand. Right. But I don't, I would guess there's more to it than that. Yeah. And you'll see stuff like you'll have a player who had 173.4 points last season and he'll be projected to have 182.9. Uh, don't know exactly where those numbers are coming from. They, they definitely don't okay. share that. Well, here, I, I just pulled it up as you were talking. So ESPN right now has their number one ranked player, Christian McCaffrey, had 90.4 fantasy points last year and is projected to have 333.92 fantasy points this year. Right. Well, he was out with injury for a large sector this season, so they probably... Yeah, he only had 59 carries. Yeah, so they they just probably just adjusted and on a per-game basis and then factored in the amount of games they predict them to play, which is probably all the games this season. It's probably where they got their number. Um, But (laughs) again, if you did the math, it might not come out that clean so i don't know where they come up with their numbers exactly i think some of it has to do with like hey he's this age he's healthy he's got a good line they run the ball a lot he's he's the main back okay so how like it's like you're gonna have to guide me a little here doug so we how, how are you selecting your team <laughs> oh man and I, I just i just laugh this is like the one element of fandom that i've never been able to really i've never found the pat my inner passion for participating in fantasy football yeah so over the years, um, I've had some success and I've had some really bad years. Last year was a bad year, and here's why. I went with the uh, typical fantasy approach of loading up on running backs and receivers because as you'll see on these rankings, these player rankings, you probably won't see Patrick Mahomes or the top quarterbacks till after the top 15 running backs are already off the board. Um, that's because point system is favorable to running backs relative to quarterbacks. Running backs are the most important position in fantasy and the marginal difference in one running back to the next, whereas in real life isn't that much. Uh, if you got a running back that splits carries versus a running back that gets 30 carries a game, the 30 carries a game is going to get significantly more okay. um, relative to, let's say, two quarterbacks who throw the same amount of passes in a game, but one is is better than the other one. Their points are still going to come out pretty similar. So looking... so. So looking at the ESPN rankings, their top three guys are running backs. Exactly. Exactly. Number four is a tight end. Is that a uh, Kelsey? Yeah. yeah. And the the first uh, the first quarterback to appear in terms of the rankings is Patrick Mahomes at fifty five. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> this seems like a really screwy scoring system. Well, it does. Um, and there are people that have problems with that scoring system, but. It's the way fantasy football has been done for years. I personally think that the running back position used to be more important to the NFL. When I started playing fantasy, it was like Ladanian Tomlinson was the guy and everybody was fighting for Frank Gore and Tiki Barber. It felt like those guys ran the league more so than okay. Peyton Manning and Tom Let Brady. Let me just pause you then for a second. So yeah. now I'm interested in terms of just the, the sort of the dynamics of decision-making and sort of the people that play this. Yeah. Doesn't everyone playing fantasy football just pull up one of these lists at this point? Um, probably. I mean, by default, if you miss the draft, it'll just take the next person on, on ESPN's list if you're in an ESPN league. So probably. But I think a lot of people try to outsmart those lists. So you look at it and say, well, I watched this guy in college and I think he's way better than these guys. Or the mistake that um, I see guys make all the time is Patrick Mahomes, 50th or wherever they had him listed, 55th. I think he's the best player in the league. I'm going to, and I have the 10th pick. I'm going to take him the 10th pick. Well, you don't understand the rules of fantasy football because, yes, Patrick Mahomes uh, is probably the top 10 player in the NFL. I don't think that's really a question, but is he worth, and he might generate more points in a season, but is the marginal difference in points next to the next guy, gotcha. the next quarterback, better? Um, than if you took one of the running backs where there's a huge drop off. Hold on, hold on. So, so let me let me keep asking you questions here. So, so the quarterbacks are almost maybe they drop off at a linear rate. So, as you go from quarterback one to quarterback two to quarterback three, you don't lose out that much. But in the case of the running backs, it's almost more like an exponential decay. Yeah. So having a top running back is huge. But if you go down to running back five, you've lost a ton of value. Is that our 
Yeah, more or less. I think the deal with running backs is, I kind of touched on this before, quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks get all the snaps, right? But a running back, there's a couple guys in the league, like Ezekiel Elliott, he'll get the bulk of the carries for the Cowboys. Uh, Saquon Barkley, if he's healthy, he's going to get the bulk of the carries for the Giants. These guys are going to touch the ball roughly 20 times a game. Yeah. You go to a team like the Patriots, they have a committee approach. Um, you might say, oh, I think Saquon Barkley is actually, I think Sony Michelle's almost as good as Saquon Barkley. I'm just going to wait and take him. It doesn't matter how good he is if he only gets four carries a game or if he gets 10 carries a game. That's half as much. And and even if he's just as good, that's half as much production right there. So that's the deal with running backs and, and why, um, even if they don't generate as much points total as quarterbacks, why the drop-off is so drastic for running backs. There's probably five guys that can win you your league there's 10 guys that you really feel comfortable starting. And after that, um, there's guys that get you 10 points one week and two points the next week. It's really anyone's guess. So it seems like it's kind of a, has anyone in, in efforted to, I was going to say endeavored, but efforted to, seems more appropriate for fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Has anyone efforted to create a more fair or more realistic scoring system? Yes. And I, I guess I could, uh, my follow-up question are there any leagues that sort of use like a salary cap structure as well? Um, so because I, let me, let me throw away. Cause one other sort of supporting detail on this, looking at um, like this list from ESPN, the number nine player is Devontae Adams from the green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. And the number 11 player is Aaron Jones at running back. But I, I don't know where Aaron Rodgers is on the list. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. he's probably far back uh, behind Mahomes. But yeah, last year, the commissioner for the league that I was in actually decided to make it a more quarterback um, heavy league, or, or I guess to weigh the quarterbacks more. The quarterback points way more than the running back points because the thinking was in the NFL, quarterbacks were really what matters. So why do we have a, a system where... It's all about the running backs when, when these guys um, are less important in actual football. And so uh, the problem was I didn't get the memo about this. I think I, I don't I do not do a good job of reading group texts, and I didn't get the memo. So in the draft, I, was, I did the usual running back heavy. I loaded my team with running backs and receivers. I think I took like Stafford or Cam Newton, someone late quarterback. I let everyone get all the good quarterbacks early while I was getting all the good running backs. Um, and that was a bad move because – uh, come first game, I was like, why is my team doing so poorly? Well, it's because of my strategy and the rules of the league. Um, if the rules had been different, I probably would have had a lot more success. But because of the, of the nature of this particular league, my team was horrible for the entire season. And as soon as I found out about it, I pretty much knew I was done. <laughs> uh, I knew it was going to be a bad year. Uh, if you listen to the podcast last year, I'm sure you heard about how bad my team was at some point. But all that to say, there are ways to to customize it. And... Um, what was your uh, what was your second question there? Well, the uh, I forget the second one, but the third one was so. Are there um, salary cap issues ever in terms of hmm. it, you know? So there's like a, almost a roster uh, financial uh, financial management aspect of it. I believe there are leagues like that. That kind of makes me think of DraftKings and the different um, semi gambling apps. But I can't speak from experience. I've never been in a league with a salary cap. Do you see why the analytics wrecks sports for me, Doug, as we have this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then the third question is, as you've been involved in leagues over the years, do you find um, a lot of, let's say, Georgia alumni that are reaching for Georgia players, a lot of Alabama alumni that are reaching for Alabama players, and and do they get, do they, do they, uh, does that, kind of signal defeat for those folks in your experience so i do see a lot of that it actually those biases don't signal defeat uh as much as one might expect because the deal is these fans watch these teams and these players for three to four years and they have really great intel and so like i remember when nick chubb was a rookie i think i i was that guy i took him earlier than he was projected he might have been projected to be 
the 50th running back and I took him as the 20th running back. Well, guess what? He finished as the 10th running back, right? So I actually found an inefficiency through my bias, uh, believe it or not. And I see that all the time when I'm in leagues and I think there's a player that's undervalued that's an Alabama player. I tend to be in leagues with Alabama fans. They tend to pick that player earlier than he's projected. And that player usually pans out to be even better um, than I project him to be. And so uh, it, it actually can be an advantage um, just kind of having these scouting reports on those teams that, pro- I guess, um, put out so many NFL players, so much NFL talent. Now, where you can really go wrong is, and I've seen guys do this, is to try to assemble a team of just players from, from one school. So I've seen, I've had a friend that tried to assemble an all UGA team. And the problem is in the first round, I don't know, back at the time, it was probably A.J. Green would have been the best player to take. Um, and then after that, maybe Todd or Todd Gurley and then A.J. Green, that order. Uh, but third round, you're taking Stafford, and he's probably more, depending on the size of the league, he's, he's like a later guy. So I've seen guys ruin their chances. I mean, if you do that, you pretty much have no chance of winning. I've never seen someone win a league stacking Alabama players or stacking Georgia players. So th- those are the two schools who I tend to be associated with most. I'm looking at some of... I'm looking at the the rankings. They've got I think Trevor Lawrence is their first rookie quarterback mm-hmm. and he is ranked he's ranked 14th on their list. Okay. Then Fields next. Justin Fields is the second one at, at number 22. Yeah, I just I really believe Fields. Another thing about Fields, another reason I'm such a believer in him this year is the rushing. Uh I remember Cam Newton when he was younger. He was a fantasy <laughs> football machine because not only does he get all the passing yards, gets all the rushing yards, and quarterback rushing yards uh, add up a lot. They get counted a lot of times like running back rushing yards. The quarterback ends up with a lot more points that way. And so I think I think Fields is the rookie quarterback, but who knows, man? We'll have to wait and see what happens this season. It, it, it's great, though. And, and like I said, it'd be really interesting if they would list their methodology so you knew how they were doing it. But so basically ESPN's projections are that Trevor's going to have 24 touchdowns and 13 interceptions while Fields is going to have 18 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. I don't know if anyone's ever tracked that over time. It's you know, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting projection it just no idea what's behind it which makes you kind of question the whole thing. Yeah. Um I I'm not sure there's anything behind it. <laughs> that would be my bet. <laughs> And Doug, most critically, how much money is in play? Is this just for pride so you can let your let your Georgia biases come through? Or are we talking about serious dollars? So suddenly, uh, does uh, the dollars involved cause any kind of change in uh, preferences for your roster? Yeah, a lot of leagues do it differently. I've been in free leagues before. I probably am just as competitive in those as I am in paid leagues. The money league I'm in right now is $25 a person. It's probably 10 people, 10, 15. Uh, so 250 bucks for the winner, let's say. Um, but there are guys that play around with <laughs> bigger wads of cash. I'm <laughs> I'm just not that guy. Not that guy. Uh, you know, I, I love the idea of a question in a fandom survey that gets to that level of would you trade, you know, the, I don't know how you would phrase it, and to the Georgia fan, would you trade a former Georgia player for a former Auburn player? Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll do that all the time. I mean, it's it's fantasy football, right? It, it's not affecting the real life players. You're not wearing the other team's jersey. You're simply trying to win. And so I will trade a Georgia player. But honestly, what I what I like to do is to take advantage of the biases of other people in the league. So if I see someone that's an Alabama fan and I have Derrick Henry, I'm going to try to trade him Derrick Henry. Or if I, let's say I have Tua, and I know this guy probably thinks Tua's better than he actually is. You know, Last year, people thought Tua was going to be the breakout star. I didn't necessarily think that, but I drafted him because I knew he was valuable to those people. Um, and, and so you can trade that player for more than what they're worth. The same goes for NFL players. I can trade if I have a Cowboys fan in my league and I have Ezekiel Elliott. If they're watching on fantasy football slash NFL football on Sundays, they don't want to have to root against Ezekiel Elliott because he's playing for their opponent, even though he's playing for their actual team. Like I hate playing against Giants players in fantasy. I'd rather just have him on my team. So there are biases in play. Uh, nonetheless. Okay, so you you said something in there. You said it's fantasy football. It is. And I <laughs> felt like you almost said... You know, that that got me thinking to something like 
Look, we've, we've talked a lot about football is life. Fantasy football is life. Fantasy football is life. Danny okay, Rojas. so we're three episodes into yes. Ted Lasso or Led Tasso. Led Tasso. So, <laughs> that is right. What are your thoughts thus far? Man, I I love it. Uh, Ted, Ted's back, first off. Ted and Led. Both are great. Led might be the new character that I, that I like most, but Ted Lasso is... Um, just such a all American television star, probably people's favorite character, the most unifying character I've seen in television ever. Uh, would liken him to Michael Scott as far as how much he's referenced by people in my life. Um, he's referenced all the time. The supporting cast is still great. And I've got to say, it's been a pleasure to see Roy Kent back in the fold. I was scared they were gonna take him out of the mix, but he's even more in the fold than ever. He is the he is the breakout star for me this year. Yeah. His his, his. Did you see the last episode? Yeah, I, I did. But you know, it took it to the next level. His talent as a coach in the nine and under uh, girls yeah. league. Going yeah. back to those rankings, I had him number three, mm-hmm. and he has become number one for me this year as well as a secondary supporting cast. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He's one of those characters where, like, it's like Dwight Schrute. Like the first time I saw it, I thought it was stupid, and eventually it just clicks. You just get it. And the look of. Okay, one small spoiler. The look of disgust on his face when someone sang the Roy Kent chant to him was perfect. (laughs) Roy Kent, yeah. I love him, man. I love Roy Kent. I think, like you, I think he's my favorite character on this show. Um, But an acquired taste for certain. Ted Lasso is not an acquired taste. He's instantly lovable, instantly a great character. I honestly love how they found a way to give Ted Lasso a little bit of conflict when this uh, sports psychologist comes in and all of a sudden there's someone that might be more effective at his job than Ted. Okay. And so this, this is where we're going to look, we're going to have, we're going to start to get a little contentious with each other, Doug. Okay. Okay. So, so let's go back to Roy Kent for a second. So you just mentioned psychology. Roy Kent is a beautiful character. And if you, from a psychological perspective, I think if you looked at something like the big five personality dimensions, Roy Kent is one of the most disagreeable people you're ever going to meet. Yes. What a great basis for a character. Okay, mm. fast forwarding to the sports psychologist, I hate it. Oh, no. I hate the character. Well, I, I, I don't like the character. I don't think she's the most <laughs> likable character, but I like that the writers found a way to give Ted Lasso a challenge, to give Ted Lasso someone that pushes him out of his comfort zone because he seems to always be comfortable. He seems to always be at the reins, and yet all of a sudden someone comes in here and she's not doing all his his voodoo, uh, trying to get rid of ghosts or whatever he was doing in season one. She actually has okay. scientific ways. Okay, so so maybe the problem is, and I got to tread carefully. What's an episode of Fanalytics without having to tread carefully? What's an episode of anything without having to tread the, carefully? The psychology... The effectiveness of the sports psychologist, I think, is what's bothering me. Okay. I think I see where you're going with this. This is where I want to tread carefully. From what I've seen about the effectiveness of psychologists and the legitimacy of psychological research, like I said, I've already gone too far. I should just stop right here. (laughs) But I I hate the way they're overselling the capability. I I think it's supposed to be exaggerated. I think that's part of the the narrative. But uh, you know what? To... To combat that, Mike, I'm going to say I love it because sports psychologist is a real part of professional sports that is not touched on often um, in the, this day and age with mental health being so such a prevalent story. And even in sports, I mean, I've seen several recent stories regarding mental health and in sports and uh, some Biles being one of them. But sports psychologists play a huge role in these teams. And I think for writers of this show to pull from that to say, you know what? What can we do with that? How can we be creative and work that into the show and finding a way to make it give Ted a challenge, give Ted a little bit of discomfort? Um, not an enemy per se, but certainly not an ally either in Ted's eyes. I think he views her as a threat. I think that's the best word for the sports psychologist um, in, in this season is that she poses a threat to Ted Lasso, to, to his ways, the Lasso way. And... I love to see it. So we absolutely are disagreeing on this one, but I can't agree that it's not like I love the character or her charisma. I think she's supposed to come across as a little bit uncomfortable because she's a threat to Ted Lasso. Agreed. 
Like going back to like this notion of the yips and sort of the the role of you know demons getting in players' heads. Absolutely, yeah. It's sort of more the the way that is portrayed that is um, bothersome to me at the moment. <laughs> sure. Um, I will say this: something I do like quite a bit is I like Jamie Tart this year. Jamie, I think that Tart. has been yeah. Hey, I, I think Jamie Tart's <laughs> return is vital to the show. Things can't just be simple and easy and clean. There's got to be, like I said, there's got to be a threat. There's got to be conflict. Jamie Tart brings that. Um, he also brings a new character arc. I mean, spoiler alert, yeah. but he's the, have you seen Stranger? No, you haven't seen Stranger Things. We've talked about this before, but he's the Steve Harrington of, of this show where first season, he's the most hated person. I remember watching that with friends in college and we hate, we called Steve scumbag Steve from Stranger yeah. Things. But, but come season two, he started to come around and we kind of looked around and we're like, is Steve our guy? Do we like Steve? I think we love Steve. And Steve became everyone's favorite character. Uh, I, I feel like that's the trajectory Jamie Tart is on right now. He's starting to come around. He can't get out of his own way, but he's trying to. Yeah. God bless him. And I think Jamie Tart is going to be a fan favorite by the time it's all said and done. But there... But they're still doing it very well where he is still a jerk. Right, right, right exactly. But it's becoming very – and I, what was the Roy, the Roy Kent line of he hopes Jamie Tart dies of an incurable condition of being a little <laughs> I think was probably my favorite moment of the, yeah. uh, of the, of the show. Yeah. Um, so – but I don't know. I'm, you know I'm, looking at you, I'm looking at you, Doug, and you're still absolute joy <laughs> – where, you know, I, I've taken a step back. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I've gone from thinking it might be the best sports show ever to the, it's getting a little shaky for me. What? Uh, the, the bringing in the, the protest angle oh, as well, I, I think kind of made me a little. Is it too political for you? Yeah. Uh. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, the politics is minor, but it's just so repetitive at this point that it's making me kind of question where it's going to end up see i didn't have a problem with it and here's why first off protests are a part of sports and i think just like yeah. with sports psychologists you got to draw from real life you got to draw from reality and try to work it into your show and i think they've done a great job with that but b they're not using like kneeling for the national anthem anything that's like a controversial real life um issue in this day and age and making it obvious which side's right and which side's wrong completely made up uh, an issue, a controversy for a character that's beloved and becoming more beloved by fans and, and kind of showing like, I, I don't know. They're, they created that situation without creating any controversy among the fan base. I think most people that watch the show aren't going to watch it and say, hey, I think he, I think they're doing the wrong thing. You know, I think this is messed up. I think they're pushing this agenda on us. It's a fake agenda. It's See, fictional. And I, and I get where... It's complete. I mean, it has nothing to do with any real life politics. I get, I, I get where you're coming from, and I think that's just sort of you know that it's it's like okay, you, you can almost imagine the writers' room or the showrunner. It's like, well, this is a big topic in sports, and so we should reflect what's happening in reality. Yeah, and I think that's their job. I, I guess I just I had almost higher expectations that if they, you know, you don't need to. I think there's a fine line between reflecting reality, which probably you need to do, and also doing something that starts to feel predictable. And it felt okay. predictable okay. to me. And, I, and we're, we're, we're talking around the edges, but there was a, a social justice kind of protest moment in, in episode three. You know, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair thing to say. I think that's a fair criticism. I think it was predictable. I think we all knew where it was headed, especially with the the character who had been brought into the mix prior to that scene. And so I think that's fair, Mike. I'll give you that one. But as a whole, I mean, come on. You can't not like Ted Lasso. It's a great show. And you got to be nitpicky to find a flaw. The the other one that I didn't I didn't care for was Oh, here we go. When Rebecca, the team owner, was in the conflict and they referred to her as a boss lady or boss lady yeah mike i'm gonna have to bleep you out on that one but uh but i think guys they they swear a lot during ted lasso they do they do i think the initials for the phrase that were used are b-a-b -B. um 
And okay. yeah, she, she was referred to that because I, I that's another one I didn't have a problem with, but maybe it's a maybe it's a generational thing cuz I hear that term quite frequently and I also um I liked the the goddaughter character and I thought that was a way that they built built or that um the owner Rebecca was able to build rapport with her her goddaughter. Mm-hmm. Who's young and hip. So Doug, I guess uh, you know, I'm still I'm still in there. Okay. But I was a little shaken, so that's just where I'm at at this at this moment. I understand, uh, but I know I know you're still going to be tuning in. There, I mean, there's just no way you can watch the last episode and not want to watch the next one. That's. <laughs> I mean, you're such a boy, big Roy Kent guy. You're going to be back well, just for and, him. And, and, and I guess this is kind of the point that I'm sort of making, right? Is like the, the show I think is fundamentally about. It's about Ted Lasso, right? This, this coach that believes in people mm. and he, he believes in people and that's why it works coupled with these different kind of athletes like the prima donna in Jamie, Jamie Tart or the yep. grizzled veteran in, in Roy Kent. And so that's where, you know, my love of sports ends up, ends up being totally consistent with the show. And now it's just, you start to add a couple of elements for real world rel- you know, relevance and suddenly it starts to feel a little different for me. Okay. But you know, but I'll tell you, Doug, I like the show so much that I almost feel guilty going down the path of criticizing. See, there it is. There it is. You love the show. Everyone, that's <laughs> just the show <laughs> loves the show. And, uh, as you should, Mike, as you should feel guilty. <laughs> okay, folks. So uh, Doug, I think we've gone on for maybe a little too long this week. So we'll wrap it up here. As always, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. And next week, we will turn to uh, the little brother to the NFL. So these, you know, and we'll talk about sort of the, the issues on the horizon for college football. Yes.